Welcome back. This is Jeff Feldman, Food Safety EDU. Uh, visit me at foodsafetyedu.podbean.com at the actual website. There's uh, multiple pages there and videos on the last page. So not just the podcast, but go to the website also and check it out. Okay, today we're talking about the big six uh, FDA uh, reportable illnesses that I wanted to just kind of cover quickly. This is a down and dirty thing. It's just going to kind of help people for testing and also the cooks here at the at the training center to be aware that there's bad things out in the food. So the big six are the portable illnesses that we're required to actually report on. We're supposed to tattletale on our employees and on our students if they are diagnosed by a doctor with one of these things. So, of course, we have the two viruses, hepatitis A virus and norovirus. So norovirus is very quick. Um, it's the cruise ship virus. It can affect you very quickly. Uh, hepatitis A virus, uh, it can take like two months to show up. So that's why we hang on to those shell stock tags for the shellfish and seafood. We hang on to those for 90 days. It gives us three months. So it gives the health department one extra month to do backtracking and research to find out where the uh, problem might have come from. And then with the two viruses, we also have the four bacteria. Uh, we have Shigella, which is that dysentery, like the other podcast I did uh, from that restaurant uh, a couple of years ago. Um, there's uh, E. coli, the hamburger in 1990, and many other people uh, got sick because of E. coli, so it, it made the list. Salmonella, typhi. Typhoid Mary. In the old days, we talk about the uh, the cook in the 1800s, and she was working for a family, and she she made them sick, and then she went and she actually worked as a cook. She changed her name, and she she knew she had this, and they told her you can never work in food again, but she did it anyway. So then she went to work at a I think it was a nursing home or something like that, and she made a lot of other people sick with Salmonella typhi because she knew. She purposefully changed her name. She purposefully went and worked. And during the 1800s at that time, there was bad sanitation. So people died. So they locked her up, I guess, until she died because she was like the first serial killer. Uh, that was one of the stories that I got. And then there's Salmonella non-typhoidal, which is uh, let's call it the chicken and the egg. Chicken and the egg. So there are so many variances uh, and variations of these bacteria. But these are the big six that we look at. So Salmonella typhi, the human strain. Salmonella non-typhoidal or is uh, the second one, chicken and the egg and other things. Uh, e. coli and Shigella, and then the two viruses, hepatitis A virus and norovirus. So I call this the big six and more. I also want to talk about botulism. So it grows uh, anaerobic right? So jars, cans, bottles, if you open it and it looks foamy, milky, or frothy, and it just doesn't look like peaches, don't taste it. They'll make something and they'll take it to a church get-together or uh, they'll take it to some kind of wedding and then multiple people get sick because they were poisoned with botulism and it paralyzes you. And, uh, then there's clostridium perfingens. So we talk about beef stews and gravies. And so with these um, spore-forming bacteria, botulism, uh, 
Clostridium perfringens and Bacillus cereus, which I'm going to talk about afterwards. They are uh, spore-forming bacteria in the ground. So anything from the ground, the dirt, and the dust is what we talk about. Okay, I had that paused for a second. So uh, the things from the ground, the dirt, and the dust that can contaminate the food, can get into the food. So when we, uh, they say garlic and oil mixtures. Okay, so garlic and oil mixtures. Oil can be in an anaerobic environment, no oxygen, right? So the garlic, you warm it up, or the rosemary or the thyme, you warm it up, but there's spores potentially on those products from the ground, the dirt, and the dust, okay? Even if you wash it, the spore can be there. So then you put it into the oil, and you heat treat it, you activate it, and now the spore is awake. And then you let the thing sit on the counter for four days or more, or we say four hours or more, it's potentially dangerous. So four hours is the number or more. But then those products, those heat-treated plant food products that have spore bacteria potentially in them, it can grow. It can go through the bacterial growth curve. It can uh, grow and then poison people. So clostridium perfringens also, bacillus cereus, rice, and other vegetables also. What the key is, is you make batch cooking, small batch cooking. You use it. At the end, you throw it away. You don't just hold it on the counter for days and days and days. The spores are dangerous, and they'll get you. Um, the baked potato wrapped in tin foil, and it, it it caused a woman to become paralyzed and almost die because of botulism. Um, and uh, the FDA has a, a verbal and audio of her description of the whole process, and it's really interesting and very scary. So I know when I was in the restaurant in the old days in the '80s, we'd make the baked potatoes at four in the afternoon, you know by the time we got ready for dinner. So we actually cooked them, started at three, 400 degrees, one hour. They come out at about 210 degrees internal temperature, baked potatoes. Then you put them in a warming drawer and you hold them. And then throughout dinner, you serve your baked potatoes on the plate. Okay, so I had to pause again. Um, and I forgot where I was. So I was talking about the spore-forming bacteria and the baked potato that... Uh, caused that woman to be paralyzed for a while. Um, terrible story, but it it's one that they pass out to the food safety people to share with their classes. Um, so it's very interesting. Bacillus serious. Remember, be serious, doggone it, about your vegetables because fruits and vegetables have the, the ground, the dirt, and the dust on them, and it can be activated, heat-treated, and then the spore opens, and it's like, hey, now I'm awake. Now I'm going to grow if I'm held in the temperature danger zone. So remember the temperature danger zone, and it's uh, 41 degrees Fahrenheit to 135 degrees Fahrenheit. In that temperature danger zone, there's 70 to 125. That's where the bacteria really grow and thrive and are very happy, right? So we want to make sure that the food is either hot, keep it hot above 135, or cold below 41, and... Um, you know, just pay attention to your times and your temperatures, really. Okay, another one, Staphylococcus aureus, staph, right? Staph comes from the staph. When we cough, sneeze, hack, drool, spit. I worked with some guys back uh, in 1981. They were cooks on the kitchen. I was like a dishwasher or a host. They had a garbage can at the end of the cook's line, and they would spit, and the spit and the spittle would go <laughs> onto the cutting boards. And then they wouldn't wipe it up. In those days, there was no two-pan. There was no sanitizing pail. Uh, so you just wipe it off, you know, with a dirty towel. It was different times back then. So we're trying to be a whole lot better nowadays. 
but it comes with the leadership as to how they train their people and how they focus on um, enforcing the standards. So you got to do that. So staff, S-T-A-P-H, comes from the staff, S-T-A-F-F, right? But if you have people that have wounds that won't heal, wounds that won't heal, and, and it kind of grows, you know something's wrong, and you need to get them out of the kitchen and to the doctor and then have doctor's notes before they can ever come back. And uh, kind of going back to that, the big six, the salmonella typhi, the salmonella uh, non-typhoidal, the E. coli, the Shigella, the hepatitis A virus, and the norovirus, those are the big six reportables. You have to report. And the employee cannot come back to work until they're clean, cleared by the doctor and then if uh, also the health inspector um, before they can ever come back to work. You can't just call them back because they need to be cleared. Okay. So down near the bottom, I want to talk about, so I took a picture of this. I'm going to put it on the website and it's just a whiteboard and I wrote a whole bunch of things on it and I'm going to put the picture up so you can follow along kind of. Um, Scombroid fish poisoning. Okay. Scombroid fish poisoning is a histamine poisoning. It gets in certain types of fish and when the fishermen catch the fish and put it in the hold of the boat, what do they do? They put them on ice. They keep it cold. But Sometimes uh, during the process, the fish will warm up into the temperature danger zone, and then the bacteria that causes the histamine will grow and grow. Once they grow through that bacterial growth curve, and they become, uh, they go through the stationary and the decline phase, becomes toxic. Once it's toxic, you can't get rid of it. Okay, once there's a toxin in any food, you can't get rid of it. It won't go away. You can't cook it away. You can't wash it away. You can't smoke it away. You can't freeze it away, it's there. So with the scombroid fish poisoning, it's a histamine poisoning that acts on you, even though you're not allergic to fish because the bacteria grows to that level, it acts on you like an allergen and it causes you to have those allergic style reactions. Okay. Okay. And then we talk about ciguatera fish poisoning from warm waters, toxic algae, gets into the small fish, the larger fish eat the little guys, then they have the toxin inside of them. And then the fishermen go fishing, they catch the fish, they sell it to us. And potentially the ciguatera fish poisoning can be in the fish and, and cause us uh, neurological symptoms, reversal of hot and cold sensation. You touch something hot, you think it's cold. You touch something cold, you think you got burned. And it can last for months, you know, with you. So purchase everything, get everything from the approved supplier. Make sure you're buying everything from the approved supplier. They know where it's coming from. And then keep those fish tags also for 90 days so that uh, you have, if anything happens, you can, uh, it can be tracked back to the supplier. Okay. So to go along with red tide, toxic algae. So the algae, and I said this in the other podcast, the algae, uh, the sun beats down on it. The algae grows and grows and grows and grows, and then it chokes itself off and it eats up all the oxygen. Then the algae dies and the bacteria in the algae grows through that bacterial growth curve and becomes toxic. Then the shellfish can become contaminated also. So clams, mussels, oysters, scallops, all those guys can become contaminated. Um, they do testing during crab season here in California in the waters to make sure that there's no uh, toxins in, in, the, uh, in the crabs. So they're always testing. Um, our shellfish suppliers are always testing. They have to have a HACCP plan. I said this in the other podcast. So paralytic shellfish poisoning, you eat it, 
you get paralyzed, you die. Amnesic shellfish poisoning, you know, I forget with that one. Uh, demoic or, or diuretic shellfish poisoning. And then there's neurotoxic shellfish poisoning. So the neurotoxic is similar to the ciguatera. It's just in shellfish this time. So uh, neurotoxic shellfish poisoning, it can change your perception. You touch something hot, you think it's cold. You touch something cold, you think you, uh, you got burned. All right. So that's a quick down and dirty for this one. I want to put it up uh, just because I'm thinking about it. And the quicker I put it up, uh, for me, at least I get the word out. I remember I was saying, oh, I want these things to be perfect. And my daughter said, well, if you want them perfect, it'll take you years. So just get them up. And if uh, people know me, uh, then they put up with me. All right. Take care. Thanks very much.